Reflux is a very serious problem for patients, but for physicians, treating patients in the office, it's certainly something that we see, we're concerned about, and it can be very frustrating to deal with. Tonight, we're going to talk about reflux and a whole series of issues, which I think are important to talk about related to it. Our guest is Dr. Jamie Kaufman. Dr. Kaufman is director of the Voice Institute of New York, professor of otolaryngology at Mount Sinai, and he's in what is a relatively new field and a leader in that field of respiratory reflux therapy and and dealing with that. And let me first talk to you about the definition as you have it of reflux and what you think the causes are as we see it. Well, first of all, reflux just means backflow, re uh, and fluere, Latin words, backflow. And it's gastric contents backflowing into the esophagus, and that's pretty much what the gastroenterologists have told us, that reflux is heartburn and indigestion, um, and it's esophageal disease. In uh, 1981, I first saw a patient that had huge granulomas and uh, airway obstruction, and recognized it to be reflux-related. patient never had heartburn. As of the most uh, recent data we've looked at, we've looked at a, a, a 200 consecutive patients with reflux who have come to see us. And a really staggering new bit of information is that heartburn was the chief complaint of only 10%. So that means people have got hoarseness, chronic cough, post-nasal drip, sensation of a lump in the throat, cough, asthma-like symptoms, allergy-like symptoms, and so on. So there are indeed a host of respiratory diseases that can be caused by, um, by respiratory reflux, and it, it can be misdiagnosed easily. And I'm sure a lot of us do miss it. I mean, we, I don't think many of us would miss the classic symptoms when somebody comes in and says they have heartburn and those things. But, but clearly when there are some of these other signs, especially with the way practices are these days, we're, you know, we're doing so much in such a short period of time, sometimes we may overlook it or not even ask those questions if the patients don't bring it up. Now, you're in a th- position where, as a specialist, you probably see the toughest cases as well. So if you were guiding us in practice, what are the things we should be looking for and we should be asking our patients about, you know, in a relatively short amount of time, but to at least target into that aspect? Well, first of all, people with respiratory reflux often have many symptoms. So they have chronic throat clearing, they have post-nasal drip, they have hoarseness, particularly in the morning after they've been out uh, eating and drinking late. And uh, so one of the questions that, that really ought to be asked is, what time do you eat dinner? Is it the biggest meal of the day? Do you drink alcohol every night? Um, What do you drink in terms of when you go to get yourself something to drink other than water or a cup of coffee? Um, Soft drinks, soda pop are also big risk factors for reflux. So late night eating is probably the number one reason why people get silent reflux. They don't have heartburn. They don't have indigestion. They had a big meal. They basically went to the trough from the time they went, got home late to the time they went to bed. They fell asleep on the sofa watching uh, the news or whatever, and then they reflux all night. And uh, we don't call them mucous membranes for nothing. So when inflamed, the mucous membranes uh, put, out, put out more mucus. So that the, the, the question of risk factors for reflux, particularly for silent reflux, are probably more than anything else, not so much what you eat, but when you eat it. So asking patients who have this constellation of symptoms, what time do you eat dinner and is your, your big meal of the day, 
it seems to me, is the number one question. And that is really a great question because I know most of our lives, at least there's one, two, maybe more nights a week, we're coming home late uh, and trying to do that, trying to get it all together maybe at 8 p.m. or something, whether it's a bad commute or just a long day at work. Well, it's a problem, and, and, and it really has become um, sort of the American way. People work later. Uh, they go to the gym and they work out afterwards. But I don't think uh, uh, people in general and physicians in particular recognize what a, what a big risk factor it is for reflux disease. And by the way, I, I would like to talk a little bit about asthma. Um, I found it interesting that most physicians, many physicians, don't ask patients, uh, when you have trouble breathing during an asthma attack, you have more trouble getting air in or out. Um, trouble breathing in is never asthma. A prolonged expiratory phase is asthma. You can have reactive airway disease, but if there's trouble getting air in, then it's usually due to reflux disease. And reflux has, there are receptors in the larynx. Those receptors get triggered, believe it or not, by acid and acid alone. Um, and uh, causes closing down of the upper airway. And so people who have inspiratory strider should not be mistaken for patients who have, um, who have asthma. And, and, and in my practice, more than half of patients who have asthma actually don't have it. And so the other key about that is if your patient's not getting well on asthma treatment, um, then you may want to go back and revisit this question of respiratory reflux. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. I'm speaking with Dr. Jamie Kaufman. We're talking about reflux and talking about some of the things we might be asking about in our practices. But beyond that now, what is, I guess, what is standard therapy? Are there things that are new in therapy, things that maybe we haven't thought about as well? Well, I think, the, Brian, I think the most important thing to say is that the proton pump inhibitor ship has sailed. The idea that people just have a chronic disease and they're going to stay on a PPI, you're going to take care of them that way. Um, we know now that long-term use of PPIs is associated with an increased, not decreased, increased risk of developing esophageal cancer. Um, almost uh, weekly there are new reports linking uh, PPIs with, with heart problems, with kidney problems, with eye problems. And so the idea that acid suppression alone is the way to treat reflux, I think that's no longer the case. The kinds of things that we do, and that I do in a practice, and in a practice I have a PA, I have a staff that uh, does essentially um, nutritional counseling for our people almost on a um, day-to-day basis. I mean, we do, we do a lot of email with a lot of our patients. We're looking to make not only reflux go away, and it can and it will, but we're also looking at what we think is a good longevity diet. So we start out with a two-week detox. The two-week detox is, um, is strict. And after the two-week detox, we start adding back foods that are reasonable without going straight to you know pepperoni pizza and two pitchers of beer on a Saturday night. And we find that people are compliant and they're interested and they lose weight and their diabetes gets better and a lot of other things. I mean, if you really think about it, I don't know how, you, how old you are, but I'm 68. In my lifetime, obesity, diabetes, reflux, snoring, sleep apnea, asthma, 
these are all linked, and they're all linked to, to diet and lifestyle. So we're actually thinking about uh, these for our patients, um, and, and it's really sort of the, it's really, I think, the future. Well, I think when you talk about it, you make a lot of common sense with a lot of the diet and lifestyle issues. And I know you have tips for quitting or reducing sugar, which you believe also are um, perhaps contributing to the whole problem with reflux as well. Well, if I were talking to a patient and they said, what are the top four things to do? I'd say close the kitchen at 8. That's number one. If you can close the kitchen at 8, you're going to get your... By the way, I had a patient whose uh, child had asthma. And I said, do me a favor and just stop giving bedtime snacks to your child. And the seven-year-old child's asthma went away. So closing the kitchen at eight is number one, getting rid of soft drinks. And by the way, everything has acid in a bottle or can. So even energy drinks, sports drinks, uh, fruit juices, they're all loaded, loaded with acid and a bunch of stuff. Um, never fall asleep drunk. If, if, if someone falls asleep with a big buzz or drunk, they're going to be refluxing all night. And then, really, it's sort of intuitive. Eat lean, clean, green, and alkaline. It's alkaline, but alkaline. It doesn't rhyme if you say alkaline. Alkaline, <laughs> alkaline water, it turns out, is really, really good for reflux. I mean, and these are the simple things you can follow. It's not that dramatic. I think one of the issues we always have in, you know, in healthcare is we, we tend to make things so much more complex than it has to be. And I think sometimes people are turned off by that or, you know, it's just difficult. They might feel motivated when they leave the office, but, you know, a couple of days later they more or less forget what you even talked about. But My if it's something... experience is if you tell people that they can make a big difference, I, you know, uh, I, have, I have two books. Dropping Acid is sort of the starter book for refluxers. And the new book, uh, Dr. Kaufman's Dropping Acid Diet, is essentially a longevity diet or the advanced course. There's a lot of discussion about sugar. There's 80, 80% of the products in a supermarket have sugar added. You can't find a breakfast cereal that doesn't have, have sugar. So that the same uh, snack foods that are reflux-causing are also loaded with sugar. So, you know, when you talk about eliminating sugar, first thing you've got to do is get rid of the obvious things, anything that has high-fructose corn syrup in it, um, get rid of the cupcakes and the cookies, and the uh, ice cream in the freezer, get candy out of the house, you know, have these things as a, as a treat when you go out, have a dessert, uh, but don't be eating them all night, every night. Eliminate soft drinks. Bread is a big issue. I'm sure you've read Wheat Belly. This question about the um, glycemic index of bread being higher than that of cane sugar, excess sugar turns into fat, and bread is American staple, right? Bread is breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. Um, and then breakfast cereals. And so, you know, I, I actually have my patients reading labels. For example, I'm a big fan of chicken stock because I don't want to be you know, boiling chickens all the time to have stock to cook with. And um, so turns out there are some brands, but not very men, many, that don't add sugar. So once you find one that you like, you say, okay, this is a good brand. This one has not a bunch of chemicals and no, no added sugar. And you start substituting things. And the fruit, the, the people want to have sugar. Bananas, red apples, pears, figs and dates have the most sugar, and they can be considered desserts for people, particularly the dates. They're high, high sugar bombs. And so, you know, there are ways of doing it. And for actual sugar alternatives, you know, natural honey, molasses, and 
and stevia. Stevia has not had a lot of discussion yet, but you know it, it has no calories, um, and it's probably going to turn out to be quite a good uh, sugar substitute. I want to switch gears just a little bit. They were all great points, and talk about what you do as far as being a respiratory reflux specialist. Tell me about that. Well, I see people who come to me with breathing problems, and they can have, I mean, if you have patients that have COPD and they're non-smokers, I mean, we don't really have that many causes of lung disease. If people don't smoke, they don't work in sooty factories anymore. So people who have, you know, people wake up in the middle of the night coughing. Um, people wake up in the morning coughing, uh, a wet cough usually means reflux. A chronic wet cough usually means reflux. That dry cough, maybe, maybe it's something else. So what I'm saying is that a lot of patients who have lung disease have reflux, and it's not diagnosed because the patient goes to the gastroenterologist, the gastroenterologist does an endoscopy, the esophagus isn't so bad. So, but it doesn't mean they don't have respiratory reflux. We've been doing reflux testing where we put a uh, very high-quality pH-sensing device in both the esophagus and the pharynx now um, since 1987. And what we've done is show that these people actually have reflux disease, even if they don't have heartburn and even if they don't have esophagitis. So I think the most important feature for the, for the clinician is to recognize that respiratory reflux is a big deal, that it's hard to diagnose, and if you don't think of it, you'll never diagnose it. Do you think words getting out there? I mean, obviously, you're doing your best. You've got books, and you're you're doing talk shows, and you're speaking to physicians. But do you think words getting out about this? I do. Um, I, I was listening to something on the internet. It had nothing to do with me, and it was it was a gastroenterologist talking on on on, on a on a, a program, and and the and the word uh, reflux that involves the respiratory system must be considered. I spoke at the chronic. Uh, uh, cough conference uh, this year, and the pulmonologists have, uh, I understand, I've not seen it, a new clinical guideline coming out for cough that says if the patient doesn't have an identified cause, uh, think of respiratory reflux and even silent reflux, meaning no heartburn, no indigestion. So, but even, even, if, it's, even if the word's, you know, not yet you know, general information, a show like yours, I mean, this is important for people to think about. And it's not always easy to diagnose, and it's not always easy to treat. But it must be in, it really, it must now be in the dialogue, in the conversation. You've been listening to Dr. Jamie Kaufman. He's the director of the Voice Institute of New York. He's a professor of otolaryngology at Mount Sinai and a respiratory reflux specialist. I'm, I'm afraid, Dr. Kaufman, we run out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us and sharing your insights on primary care today. Thank you very much. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primarycare today. You can download the podcast, learn more on the series. Thank you very much for listening.